All right. What's going on, Faith Church? Good morning, everybody. Hey, it's great to have everyone in the house. I want to welcome all of our Faith Church family. It's good to have you here at our Florence campus. Can we welcome everybody up at our Lawrenceburg campus? Lawrenceburg, good to have you in the house. And to all of our VIPs and guests, man, it's great to have you guys here this morning as we, uh, as we move into just a uh, tremendous time of teaching. Man, thankful for a great time of worship, man. Can we honor the Lord one more time with our best praise? Come on, everybody. That's why we're here today. Well, listen, we, uh, my family and I, we moved here in 2012. Officially, I was here right at the very end of 2011, came down to candidate for this position as the lead pastor of Faith Church, and, but officially moved down in just the first few weeks of um, 2012 to the great state of Alabama. And uh, there's some things that stands out right away, having never been to the state before, having never come down here there are some, some things, being from Ohio, moving to Alabama, that just stand out. First of all, the sunshine. Come on. Now, see, y'all take it for granted. I never knew this growing up in Ohio, but uh, once we moved here and realized how sunny it is, actually the state of Ohio has the most overcast days in a year than any other state in the union. You're just kind of used to it being cloudy and dark, and man, you move down and you feel sunshine and warmth and energy. I'm just telling you, man, it was great. Jesus, I felt like God wanted me to come here, but I'm just telling you, I had a say in that conversation. Come on, Jesus, take me, take me where the sunshine is. Another thing that we noticed besides the, um, the sunshine coming to the great state of Alabama is the accents. Now, I'm just going to tell you, like the longer I'm here, it's wearing off on me. I'm picking up what you're laying down. I'm not saying y'all yet, but I'm getting some twang. I'm getting some twang. But the thing that stood out by far the most that um, is, is everywhere, and you, you all are from Alabama, and I know not everybody's in this vein, but one of the things that absolutely stood out is everywhere you look, you saw the letter A. I mean, it's everywhere you look. It's on license plates. It's on shirts. It's on pants. You know, if it's, if it's not a letter A, it's the hound's tooth, right? I mean, it's just everywhere. It's on hats. People have it on flags on their cars. It's on the front of houses. The letter A, come on, for Alabama football is just everywhere. And it's, it's, it was shocking to me. Again, I'm, I'm from Ohio. I'm an Ohio State fan. Ohio State's a pretty good team. People, people sport the gear, they certainly are fans, but I'm just telling you, Alabama fans and their commitment to wear the gear is just a whole nother level. I mean, I just was, was shocked by it. Uh, I'm still, I just have to be honest, I'm still kind of shocked everywhere you look. Like, it's, it's off season. I'm telling y'all are still sporting the A's. Because everybody's on board. And here's the thing when I think about people uh, and their very public commitment to Alabama football, it reminds me that the same way people are committed to the letter A and their commitment to Alabama football is very similar to the idea of water baptism. That water baptism is a very public display of your commitment to Christ. And so today, for a few minutes, I just want to talk about this idea of water baptism. In fact, let me just ask the question again, the same way people are wearing and sporting the letter A, and I know there's Auburn fans, and I know Lawrenceburg, y'all are some Tennessee fans, but again, because that A is everywhere, people making their commitment very known, it's very public who you're pulling for. Here's a question I want to ask today. Have you gone public in your relationship with Christ? 
Have you gone public in your relationship and your love for the Lord Jesus Christ? We're in this series that we've been in for the last several weeks entitled Convictions. Again, if you've not been here for this series, the word convictions, if it's new to you, it's because we made it up for this series. What we've done is we've taken two words, um, conviction and convenience, and married those two words together. It's kind of this idea, convictions, that all of us in this room, we have convictions about things. We have these strongly held beliefs. We have these firm thoughts about life, about relationship, about money, about work ethics, like, there are convictions throughout our lives. However, sometimes, even though we have strong convictions, we don't always walk by our convictions, right? Sometimes we compromise our convictions for convenience. Again, we've said things like this, that even though we might be convinced that we need to work out, it's easier to not go to the gym. It's more convenient not to go. Even though we have convictions, or maybe your doctor's down your throat, or maybe you're younger and you're just trying to get the summer body in order, you know, we have these convictions that, that we need to go to the gym or we need to eat right, but it's just more convenient, come on, to hit the Krispy Kreme line. I mean, it's just how it is. So all of us in this room, all of us in Lawrenceburg, we wrestle with the tension between convictions and convenience. And what we've been saying through this series is that there's no place that convictions shows up more than in our relationship with God. That as people who are Christ followers, people of faith, right away that identifies us as people of conviction, that there are things that especially as you move further along in your walk with Christ that you recognize, you know, things that God's calling us to. You know, God calls us to turn the other cheek. Well, that's, that's a conviction, but how many people know that's not always easy? God calls us to forgive people, but how many people know that's not always easy? Easy. So again, it's this, we have these convictions, but oftentimes we walk in convenience. And I think the challenge for all of us in this room is to get out of convenience and really walk to be the people that God has called us and created us to be. That even though convenience is the easy way, conviction is the better way. And with God's help, man, that's the path that we should take. It takes me back to, again, this idea of water baptism. It's easy to see, and we'll walk through this some this morning, that that is the model for Christ followers, that baptism should be a part of your spiritual journey. And we have, many of us, reasons, we have excuses, we have all of these thoughts and theories of maybe why we haven't or why we shouldn't be baptized, and sometimes it really comes down to convenience. It's just not convenient for me to do it. And so... Again, we sacrifice our conviction for convenience. In fact, let me just say this, and we'll hit next week. We'll finish this series out. But I want you to realize this, that our entire faith is about a spiritual journey. In fact, one of the things that you'll find very often happens in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry is, again, as he comes up to individuals like Philip and Andrew and Nathaniel and Peter and John, he says the same thing to every single one of them. And he says these simple words, hey, come and follow me. Everybody say, follow me. He says, hey, come and follow me, which denotes that this thing we're in, it's a lifetime of decisions, not a one-time decision. It's not a one-step, it's a journey that we're on. And so here's what you need to know is that baptism is the next step in your spiritual journey. Have you taken your next step? If you are a Christ follower, again, you are in a journey. You are moving somewhere in your relationship with Christ, 
every step you take should be moving you closer to Christ, helping us to live more like Christ, and that next step is water baptism. So again, have you been water baptized? Today, many of you in this room in Lawrenceburg are going to take that step. I think today we're just believing that we're going to see maybe 100, 200 people take this step and be water baptized. And so let's jump into this. If you have your Bible, I want us to look at really a great story that will help us to articulate and maybe answer some questions that you have on this thought of water baptism. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26 and verse 27. Let me just lay the foundation before we read it. It starts off with this guy by the name of Philip. Philip was one of the original 12 apostles. And we find him, this is, this is years after Jesus has died on the cross, resurrected. Philip is now announcing the good news that Jesus is alive. Revival is breaking out. In fact, he has just come from this incredible revival. And so he is, he is preaching God's grace, God's love, the life change that all of us need to experience. And while he's, while he's walking to his next destination, God has an incredible encounter for Philip. With this guy, we don't know his name. We just know that he's a eunuch. Eventually, Philip and this eunuch that you're going to see, they get into a conversation, and Philip is able to lead this eunuch into a relationship with Christ. Helps him understand who Jesus is, what Jesus did on the cross, how he died to save us, how he paid our price so we could go free. Come on, is anybody here thankful for the grace of the Lord Jesus? Come on, can we give him some praise today? And so this eunuch makes this decision, and immediately we see that he gets water baptized. He goes public with his faith. He takes the next step in his spiritual journey. And so Acts chapter 8, verse 26, starting there, I want us to read this together. It says, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So we get some geography. We know he's on a journey. He's on a mission the Spirit of God is, is helping to direct and lead his steps where he's going. He gets some instruction, I love this, to go on a desert road. And it says, verse 27, so he started out. Just real quick before we get into the baptism element, I want to make sure everybody here knows this, man. Uh, you know, first of all, between desert and dessert, you know, there are some things that help you remember things, right? Hot desert and dessert. Dessert has two S's. I want a whole lot more dessert than I want desert. Come on, somebody. I just help, help somebody next time you're writing something down, you're going to remember that. But here's the thing is, in our, spiritual, in our spiritual journey in life, nobody wants desert. Nobody wants to be in a dead-end job. Nobody wants to be in a desert relationship. Nobody wants to have desert in their heart. Now, what I want you to know today is it was the Spirit of the Lord that directed Philip into the desert because God sometimes sees things you don't see. He knows where he's leading you. He knows why he's leading you. And there is a blessing to come out of something that you would never go on your own, which means sometimes we got to make the decision to follow the leading of the Spirit of God in our life to trust where he's leading us will always work out in our favor. That's why we're not called to walk by sight, by what we see or what we feel, but to be led by God's presence and by God's word. Always trust where God's leading you, even if it doesn't look right. Come on. And so Philip, he's being led into this desert road, and he goes down, and this is where the encounter breaks out. We're going to read a, a little section of scripture here, typically more than we would on a Sunday morning, but I want you to catch this whole story. Verse 27 again, so it says, So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, 
a eunuch of great authority under the Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning, seated in the carriage. He's reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So you, you have to imagine he's in a horse-drawn carriage. You know, he's rolling down the road. I imagine there's probably some music on. He might have some subs in the back of the carriage. I don't know. He's reading this book. At that time, they didn't have bound books. They had manuscripts. The manuscript he's reading is a manuscript of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, which if you are new to spiritual things, much of what the prophet Isaiah spoke about was prophesying the coming Messiah, was talking about this future rescuer that would come. And he's actually reading this section. And I want you to notice this. Again, it says this, verse, uh, verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. And Philip ran up over and heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. So he's reading it out loud. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with them. And the passage of scripture that he had been reading was this. He was like a sheep to the slaughter. That's Jesus. He was slaughtered so we could be saved. And he was a lamb, like a lamb, is silent before the shears. He did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So this is what the eunuch is reading in verse 34. And the eunuch asked Philip, like he's reading this, and he says, hey, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Again, if you are new here, if you're new in Lawrenceburg, let me tell you what we mean by good news. The good news is that Jesus died, and you're like, how in the, how in the world can anybody dying be good news? It's because he did it for us. He did it in our place. He took our place. Everybody is broken. We, as people, you don't have to go very far to look at the news, to look at the world, to watch the media, even to look in the mirror and recognize that like something in us is broken. Something in us is not right. Humanity is flipped upside down. And so there's nothing we can do to fix ourselves or save ourselves. We are all sinners. We're all mistakers. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to pay the price for our sin and give us the gift of grace, something you can never earn. I don't know about you, but man, any gift is good news, but a gift that will change your life and change your eternity is the best news, and that's why the gospel is called good news. Come on, is anybody thankful for the good news of Jesus? Come on, y'all make some noise. So, so he hears the good news. And then watch this. He says, as they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, everybody here read this with me. Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Here's a couple of questions that we're going to tackle for a few minutes this morning. First of all, is this question is, what is baptism? Like maybe you have grown up in church. Maybe you didn't really grow up in church, but every now and then you stop by church. Or maybe you're brand new to church, but you at least have an idea. Like, again, like you've heard of baptism, or maybe you've seen baptism, or maybe you were even baptized. We're going to talk about maybe as a child your parents carried you to church one time. And that was the time you got baptized, and this is the, this is the next time you've been here is today. 
What is baptism? What in the world is baptism? Here's what I want you to see right out of the gate is the connection that the eunuch makes with the conversation to Jesus to baptism. Right out of a conversation of who Christ is, he comes across some water and wants to be baptized. Why? Because it was all over that region of the world, this momentum of the message of Christ was going forward. And people who were accepting the message, who were putting their faith in Jesus, were taking the step to go public and be baptized. And so the word had gotten out even to this eunuch, even though he didn't know what, he didn't know what, bapt, he didn't know what, uh, what Jesus was really about yet, he recognized that people who were Jesus people, People who were connected to Christ were doing this water baptism thing. So it was a very familiar model at this time in this area of the world. And so when he has a conversation about Christ, his first instinct is, I need to do what I've seen everybody else doing, and I need to get baptized. So he asks the question, hey, what do I need to do? Like, can I get baptized right now? It comes all the way back from Matthew 28, verse 19. This is what we call the Great Commission. Some of Jesus' last words before he left planet Earth, went back to heaven, this was the challenge he issued to all of us. This is for you, by the way, every one of us in this room who are Christ followers. Matthew 28, verse 19, this is what Jesus said. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Do you know why we fund missions, works all around the world? Because Jesus commanded us to. Do you know why we send out missionaries? Because Jesus commanded us to take the good news. Come on, the good news isn't American news. The good news is global news. Everybody needs a Savior. Everybody needs grace. Listen, your, your worst enemy needs Jesus and needs grace. Your spouse needs Jesus. Your neighbor that you don't get along with, branches hanging over, he's blowing lawn trimmings on your yard, he needs Jesus too. Come on, somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You need to pray for him, quit cursing him and cussing him. So again, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, watch this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if you're taking notes, here's ultimately what water baptism is. Here's in its most simple form, baptism is a public declaration of a personal decision. It's a public declaration of a personal decision. Faith is a personal thing, but it's not a private thing. People say, my faith is very personal. It can be personal, but biblical faith, Christian faith, is a very public thing. And baptism is a public display. It's a public declaration of your personal decision to put trust in Jesus as your Savior. And we see this happen over and over and over and over again. It's all throughout the New Testament. And so we say baptism is a public declaration I think of it this way. Now, again, I don't know if anybody does this anymore. I, I, I got some, I have two older daughters in their 20s. I got a son that's 15. I've not seen them do, do this, so this might be dated. But anybody, we got any people here dated in the 80s? They didn't, like there was a thing when I was a teenager in the 80s dating, like if you got really serious about a girl, which meant like you was like three weeks in. Come on. If you made it three weeks, you were in, baby. Like this could be the one until you, like, like I, I, I didn't get broke up with. If I thought it was coming, I broke up with you. <laughs> but anybody remember the Miss Paw necklaces? Remember the, the little hearts that were broken in half and like the guy wore a half and the girl wore a half? What was that for? You know what that was for? That was a public declaration that you was in a relationship. 
It was a way of telling all the other females, hands off, which is a regular message I had to communicate. Things would be awkward in public places. So it was this necklace, again, it was a way of saying, hey, I'm taken, I'm committed to somebody else. And you wore it proudly. Again, it was this public display. We, we have it now, something that's far more familiar probably to many of us in this room, Lawrenceburg, many of you in this room, and it's the wedding ring. How many people have on a wedding ring? I remember several years ago when we get ready to go to the beach, typically in, in the summer, we will always hit the tanning bed for a week or so, try to get a base tan, because this brother don't need to be in the sun without some sun. And I'll never forget, we, we were going to the tanning bed, and typically my wife and I, sometimes we try to go together, and the place we were going to at that time, I had gone in before her, did my thing, and she came in after me, and I had left. We had drove separate, and um, my wife gets home about a half hour later, and she walks in. I'll never forget this. She says, she walks right up to me, very serious look on her face, and she says, did you forget something? Now, not about you. Come on, man. You got to help me out. When your wife walks up to you and asks a question, did you forget something? Woo, boy, you want to talk about some blood pressure going up? Is, is it getting hot in here? Is it just me? I'm like, is it an anniversary? Is it a birthday? Like, th this is a rhetorical question, isn't it, babe? And so thankfully, I didn't forget any major holiday. But what I had forgotten was when I went into the tanning bed, I had taken off my wedding ring and set it down, and she found it. Thankfully, she was the next one in and brought it home to me. Had I forgot something? Yeah. I forgot my wedding ring. But here's what you need to know about a wedding ring. The ring is the thing. The ring is the thing that tells everybody around me that I'm married. Now, here's what you need to know. The ring doesn't make me married. The ring identifies me as married. If I take the ring off, I'm not unmarried right now. And now I'm married. And now I'm unmarried. No, I'm in a covenant, committed relationship with my bride the ring is the thing that announces publicly to everybody who looks at me, I'm off the market, which brings a lot of disappointment. <laughs> but <laughs> you just got to let these things be known. Come on, y'all got to have some levity this morning. <laughs> now, if I was to take my, my ring, if I were to take this and, and toss it out to somebody... If I was to toss it out to another guy here, that doesn't automatically mean because you have the ring that you are now married to my wife. The ring is the thing. It's not, baptism is not salvation. It is a way of declaring that you are saved. There are a lot of churches that have this upside down and backwards, and that's not the model we see in the New Testament. The ring is the thing. The same way that I put on a ring when I said I do to my wife this week, 26 years ago. Come on, can we get some love? You really ought to be clapping for my wife. It's a long 26 years. 26 years this week, we said I do 26 years ago. 26 years, I've been wearing the ring. The same way I put on a ring after I said I do to my wife, you should get baptized after you say I do to Jesus. The ring is the thing that identifies that you belong to Christ. It is, again, a public declaration of a personal decision. So, again, the eunuch has this conversation with Philip, and then he asks, again, this question, hey, why can't I be baptized? Here's the question today. All of you in this room, all of you in Lawrenceburg, you need to ask is, what is keeping you from being water baptized? What is keeping you from taking the next step in your spiritual journey? 
I want you to see this again. Go on to the next verse. It says this. First of all, if you're taking notes, baptism is for believers. Who's baptism for? Baptism is for believers. It's not for everybody. It's for believers. Acts chapter 8, verse 37. Philip's response to the eunuch's question. Hey, why can't I be baptized? Notice this. He says, you can. If you're here and you're asking the question, hey, can I be baptized? My answer is the same as Philip's. You can. But watch this. If, everybody shout if. Here's the condition to baptism. Who is baptism for? Baptism is for believers. The condition is if you believe with all of your heart. I want you to notice the eunuch's response. And the eunuch replied, I believe. Believe what? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, which was synonymous with saying, I believe God sent his Son on a rescue mission to save humanity, including me, and I put my personal trust in a personal Savior to save me. I've taken the first step. Now the question is, am I set up for the second step, which is water baptism? And so baptism, again, it reflects that personal decision. Some of you in this room, you've been going to church. The question is, have you put your faith in Jesus? You pray at the dinner table, but have you put your trust in Christ as your Savior? You're a churchgoer. Are you saved? You might be a church member, but are you saved? See, because that's what this is all about. This is not a religious game we play on Sunday morning for an hour and go home. This is a life-changing decision that changes who we are, makes us new people, puts us in a... Jesus came to reconnect us with our Creator. And then through that, that changes our life, begins to change who we are, and ultimately changes our eternity. You know, maybe you're here, again, you ask the question, who's baptism for? Maybe, again, you're here and you're like, hey, Pastor, like, like I did the baptism thing. I was an infant. I don't remember it. But my parents took me, and maybe you were sprinkled, specked, <laughs> flicked, <laughs> dunked, dipped. I don't know. Like, I mean, I've seen, I've seen it all. And I just want you to know with all of my heart, I don't stand here, and I don't want to devalue any experience anybody in this room's had. I, there are lots of uh, friends I have in ministry that, you know, we ultimately, the, the foundation of Christianity is who we believe God's son is. He's not a prophet and he's not just a teacher. He's God's son that died on the cross for our sins so we could be saved. That is the essence of Christianity. From there, there are some things that we start to differ on, how, how you get baptized, and we'll talk about that in a second. And so if you're here and you're like, okay, pastor, like, I've already been baptized. Do I need to get baptized today? Maybe the answer is yes. Again, it's not to devalue your infant experience, or maybe you had your, children's, uh, your children baptized when they were infant, and that's, like, again, I'm not here at all to devalue that. But what I want you to find is, first of all, there's, you kind of maybe see maybe children were baptized. Maybe young children were baptized. That would have to be a small child, I guess. <laughs> he was premature. Came out very young, about three weeks out. Uh, you know, uh, we find in the New Testament that people have this conversion experience. They put their trust in Christ, just like we see the eunuch does. He believes in Jesus. And we see this, we see this said several times that, that he and his entire household was saved. Well, you have to believe that some of the households had children. So if the entire household was, was baptized, that very likely some children were baptized. However, more importantly, what you need to note is Anytime somebody is named specifically, it's always 
It's always somewhat of an older stature, like teenager or above. What you find, the model of, again, who can be baptized, baptism is for believers. What you find is it's baptism always follows a conscious, personal decision. Jesus said, again, go make disciples of all nations, then baptize them. Well, which means you can't be baptized until first you've made the decision to be a disciple. Babies can't make that decision. You find uh, John the Baptist, he, which didn't mean he went to a Baptist church, by the way. Different story. Uh, John the Baptist, he wouldn't baptize people unless first, he said this, unless first you repent. Repent is a decision, ultimately means to change your mind, to change the direction of your life. That's not a decision a young child can make. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, 10 days after Jesus ascended back to heaven, and uh, he ultimately said this. He said, hey, um, you know what? Repent and be baptized. So again, it's, it's a personal decision. So if maybe you were baptized as a child, I would maybe appeal to you to consider taking that step again now that it is your personal decision. Let's be honest, like if you baptize your child, that was your decision, not their decision. And baptism is a personal decision. It's a public declaration of a personal decision. And so the question is, when should you be baptized? We know who it's for. Again, baptism is for believers. When should you be baptized? Baptism should happen soon. Everybody shout soon. Baptism should happen soon after salvation. This is so cool. Watch this. So this guy just had this experience with Christ. He just found out really who Jesus is. He just found out that Christ was sacrificed for him. He said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then he rolls up on some water. Watch this. Philip says, Acts chapter 8, verse 38. He ordered the carriage to stop. He's pulling the reins in. And they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So this guy was saved for what? He had a personal experience with Christ for how long? Two minutes? Five minutes? We don't know, but probably it was certainly within a very short period of time. They're rolling down the road, and they come across some water. So if you've had a personal encounter with Christ, and you've not yet taken the step, the question is why? Because the model of the New Testament, the model of the early church, the model of believers has always been that baptism follows soon after salvation. In fact, one of the things that's kind of crazy is a lot of times, and I've had conversations with people through the years, and it's almost this feeling like, hey, pastor, like, I've just given my life to Christ. Like, give me some time to get it together. Like, give me some space to figure it out. Let me learn some more. Let me read a little bit of the Bible, and then I'm going to take the step. But I want you to notice something, what we read earlier, the, the, the Great Commission, again, when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The very next verse says this, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and I'm with you, doing the other. which means that baptism precedes you even getting any teaching yet. Come on. He's saying, go baptize them. You can teach them later, but help them to take, get, let them have an encounter with me, salvation. The next step is baptism, and then continued steps is growing and learning faith and walking it out in everyday life. So if you're here and you've been saved, but you've not been baptized, you're behind the time. It's time to take the step. Have you been baptized? And so if you're here and you said, like, not yet. Something you might want to write down, it'll sting writing it, but delayed obedience is disobedience. 
Anybody here got kids? You tell them to do something, and they're like, later. I didn't do it yet. I was going to do it. I mean, if I hear that another time, you might have to call children's services in my house. Like, I was going to do it means you didn't do it, which meant I told you to do something. You were disobedient. And we have a heavenly father at the end of the day. This whole spiritual journey is God speaking into our life. If we could have figured this thing out without God, we would have. The fact that Christ had to step into humanity to help pave the path, make the way, provide the way of salvation means we couldn't save ourselves. We can't lead ourselves, which means there's going to be things that God calls us to do teaches us to do, like be generous, like be a servant, like be humble, like turn the other cheek, again, like pray for you. There's things that God will call us to do that naturally maybe rubs us the wrong way, maybe doesn't always make sense, but we have to believe as Christ followers that God's ways higher than our ways and better than our ways, which means we're called to submit to his ways if we're going to get the best that God has for us. Have you been water baptized? How? Here's the question. How should you be baptized? Baptism, I think that we're going to see baptism is by immersion. You're going under, baby. Two, three more minutes absolutely tops. The more sin you have, the longer we hold you under. We want you to have a near-death experience so you come out afraid to die just in case you're not ready. I can't, I was going to tell you a story, but I can't tell you some of you won't get baptized, so never mind. I'll tell you next week. <laughs> you got to come back next week. But I've, I've, I've seen all kinds of water baptisms. I've been a part, I've baptized hundreds. I, I've been a minister a long time, maybe thousands of people, I would imagine at this point, my, my, my own spiritual journey. And uh, so I believe that the model of the New Testament, I believe, is, is by immersion. The picture is going all the way under the water and all the way out. And I, I get it. I get it. Some of you are freaking out. The thought of going all the way underwater makes you nervous. Some of you got weaves on and, and, and you got hair pieces on. It's all good, baby. It needs baptized too. Give it all to Jesus. Just, I've, saw, I, I've, I've, been able to see, I've been able to experience eyelashes floating on the water. I've seen it all. Everybody needs Jesus. So don't let any reason. But it's by immersion. But I have seen and I personally have baptized people not by immersion. I remember several years ago, I got a phone call. There was a, 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 a family in the church that I was pastoring, and they, uh, their, their father was sick. He had been to the church himself several times, but had really been very ill for years, had come to the place that his life was, was nearing an end. Everybody knew it. He had been in the hospital for, uh, for about a month at that time, and I received a phone call um, about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I had already led this man to Christ. He took the step, but he wanted to make sure he took the next step before he passed away. And so the family called me and said, Pastor, I know it's, it's very late, but, you know, doctors are telling us that our father's probably going to pass within the next 12 to 24 hours. Is there any way that you can come and baptize him? And uh, so, again, it's, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I've been asleep for a while. The hospital's about an hour drive away. So I'm driving like, you know, how are we going to do this thing? You know, I'm an immersion guy. I believe that's the New Testament model, but, you know, I believe you just got to, you know, God will meet you where you are. And so I rolled up into this hospital, and I stopped, and there was a, there was a Coke machine in the lobby, and I bought two bottles of Dasani, and me, Jesus, and, and Dasani water baptized this guy in his hospital bed. I, I couldn't pull him out of the bed and put him in a tub, so 
I just put a towel around him and just poured water on him and said, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he got one poured on him. I got to drink one. I mean, it was a win. It's a win-win. But I want you to notice Acts 8, 38, as we get ready to round this out, it says he ordered the carriage to stop, watch this, and went down. Everybody say down. Down into the water. He didn't get water on him. He went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. Again, we see this model that most of the baptisms, in fact, all that you see recorded in the New Testament, it follows the same model of immersion. John the Baptist, he baptized where he did, the Bible says, because he picked that spot because there was a lot of water there. We see Jesus himself was baptized. Are you greater than Jesus? Jesus himself was baptized. The Bible says Jesus, after he was baptized, he came out of the water. This is exactly what we see is, again, baptism, real quick as we narrow this, round this out. Baptism, if you're taking notes, is, it is symbolic. It's just symbolic. It's not salvation. It is symbolic. But watch this. It's also supernatural. Listen, I'm telling you, anytime you participate in what God has for your life, you can believe for God to do something significant and supernatural in your life that you can never do for yourself. I believe that through baptism, sometimes freedom comes, deliverance comes, joy comes. It is a next step. It is a symbolic step, but it's a supernatural step. If it's a step that a supernatural God has given us to take, you better believe and you better show up with faith that God will do something radical in your life. God always honors obedience. God always honors obedience. And so Romans chapter 6, watch this. Here's what Paul, this is how he talks about this thing called water baptism. He says, or have you forgotten, he's talking to people who have taken the first step of salvation and the next step of baptism. He says, have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, you joined him in his death? For we died... And we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also live new lives. Here's ultimately what baptism is. Again, baptism is a public declaration of a personal decision. The same way Jesus died on the cross and he was placed in a tomb in the third day, three days later, came out of the tomb raised in new life. It is a picture that we die to an old life. We die to old habits. We die to old attitudes. We die to an old lifestyle. Sometimes we got to die to old relationships. We got to die to old greed. We got to die to, come on, is anybody talk, Anybody with me today? And we die, and then the same way we come out of that water, we come out as brand new people. We come out with a new attitude and a new heart and a new lifestyle because we're connected to our creator. I'm just telling you, that's what the picture is is dying to your old life and raising to your new life. It's not, it's not an option. It's what Christ has commanded. It's what he's called us to. Lawrenceburg, it's not an option. It's a commandment. Be baptized. Have you been water baptized? And so this morning, we've been preparing. Typically, we do water baptism services uh, on Wednesday nights, first Wednesday of the month. That's when we celebrate. But man, I just felt coming into this year, we were looking for the right Sunday. I really felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, man, there's just some people that have not been to a Wednesday, won't come to a Wednesday, that need to take the next step in their spiritual journey. So Lawrenceburg, if you've never taken the next step, Florence, if you've never gone public, this morning's your morning. Maybe your last excuse is, I, I don't, I'm not prepared. In a few minutes, 
we're going to release you. And some of you, your step is not to go out to the parking lot. Your step is to hear the Florence campus, to go back to the gym. Lawrenceburg campus, there's people there that will show you where to go. But we're all set up and we're ready to help you take the next step in your spiritual journey. We have, and it's all new, unworn, it's new, got shorts, we have t-shirts, we have a private place where you can change. But I just want to pray. And I want to challenge some of you this morning not to make another excuse, not to miss another opportunity, but to follow the pattern, to be obedient, to take the next step, and to be baptized. Have you been water baptized? Have you experienced what God has for you as a Christ follower? And so I just want to ask all of us, Lawrenceburg, Florence, if you'll pray. Father, I thank you today, God, for your word. I thank you for what you've called us to do. And I pray, God, at both campuses that, Lord, many will take this next step. I pray, Father, that they would not miss the opportunity, God, to walk in everything you have for us. God, you have called us to a tremendous life, and it begins with going public with that very personal decision of making you our Savior. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray, pray that you'll move people that direction in Jesus' mighty name. Lawrenceburg Faith Church, come on, Florence. If you're here and you've never been water baptized, again, we have everything set up. There are places for your family members to go here in the Florence campus to sit. Lawrenceburg, we have a baptismal right out in front of your campus. And so I just want to ask, on the count of three, if you're here and you've never been water baptized and today you want to get water baptized, before we dismiss everybody else, I don't want you to miss the opportunity. Come on, if you're young or you're old, it doesn't matter. Don't miss the opportunity to take the step. Some of you have already come. You're already ready to get baptized. On the count of three, I want you to move. You can head to the back. There's people, both campuses holding signs. It'll show you where to go. One, two, three. You can move. Come on. You can move. Come on, all the way in the back. You can take the step going back. Come on, let's honor some of those that are moving. Come on. We're going to release the rest of you. If you like, don't even want to stand up now, but you want to get baptized, there's people that will help you. I'm going to turn it over to our campus pastor, Pastor Caleb, up in Lawrenceburg. He will help you, Lawrenceburg, with where you need to go and what you need to do. For everybody here, listen, don't leave. We have towels for you. We have everything you need. You're one yes away from God doing something really incredible in your life. The most radical life change happened in my life the first time I said yes to Jesus. And what I found is that every yes after that is just as incredible because God always honors obedience. And so if you're here and you've not been water baptized and you want to take that step, as I release you guys, again, you can head back to the gym. It's right back. We have two baptismals set up. Take the step and be water baptized. God bless you guys, man. We'll see you next week for week four of Convictions.